people, children, you might be able to go down the halls if you want to at this time. And the rest of us young folk will stay in here. Uh, Luke chapter 2, obviously, this morning. We'll look in Luke chapter 2 this morning one more time. While you're turning your pages and preparing for the message this morning, I'm going I'm to tell you something that was just told to me this morning because I want to see where we're at. The question was presented to me just moments ago, well, about an hour ago. What did Adam say to Eve the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. Look at y'all. Y'all are sitting there thinking, ah, oh, that's Christmas. That's the same reaction I had, and I'm not claiming that one. I'm claiming that my wife told me that one. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to throw her out there. <laughs> I thought it was fun. It's one of them, it's one of them that's not so, it's not funny at all, but you just can't not laugh at it. Well, that, that's going to get us started, get us in a good mood for the message this morning. I hope it's going to be encouraging to y'all uh, this morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is, this is obviously the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, uh, this morning in verses 1 through 7. Not really the whole Christmas, just part of it. And uh, while, while, we're, while we're preparing ourselves to read this part of Scripture, I'll tell you another uh, uh, illustration used by some of other preachers. Uh, there, was a, there was a Christmas program at a church one time where a seven-year-old boy was playing the innkeeper, right? And his, his job, his, his, his only line in the whole play was there we don't have any room or there's no room in the inn that was his only line and he had it down pat that's all he had to do is walk up and open the door and after they asked is there any room he said there's no room in the inn well this happened and everybody the parents are sitting in the front row the place is crowded and everything's happening the way it should and the seven-year-old boy hears the knock on the door and he walks over and opens the door and they say do we have any room for us we're having a child and we're on a journey and he says, there's no room in the inn. And then he paused for just a moment, and, every, and his parents are all proud of him sitting in the front row, got their video cameras going. And all of a sudden he says, the king come in for cookie mi- cookies and milk. <laughs> some, some, people, some people left the church that night thinking that he had ruined the whole play because it's not according to the story. However, there were others that went away thinking that was probably the best Christmas play ever, right, if you think about it. So as we read uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, I want us to think about there's no room in the inn, all right? And we're going to talk about that a bit of it. This might go go fairly quickly, y'all, because I get excited about some of this stuff, and, and I might start talking faster, so... pause so y'all could say amen because I was I was, well, I was giving y'all an opportunity. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while, while Quirinius was governor of, of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in, in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
verse 6 says, while they were there, that time, uh, while they were there, the time had come for the, for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's it. That's the scripture that we're going to focus on this morning. Very familiar scripture for those of us who are believers and those of us who celebrate Christmas regularly. We understand and have heard this over and over and over again. But I wonder if we think about that one statement, that short statement that says there was no room for them in the inn. Now, you may be expecting me to preach sermons similar to what every other preacher in the world, including myself, have preached about making room for Jesus in our lives at Christmas time, especially. And I'll talk about that a little bit. Maybe, maybe uh, we preach sermons about how we need to make room for Jesus in our lives, that he needs to be the priority in our lives. The Christian, those who have submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior, accepted the gospel truth, repented and were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, Jesus should be the center of their lives. When we study the letter to the Colossians, that's what it's all about. When we study every other uh, part of the, of the New Testament, it's all about Jesus being the center of it all. And then the question would be in those kinds of sermons, is there room for Jesus in your life? Or are we too busy for Jesus to be Lord and Savior? which are great sermons to listen to and preach because they're true. And they're a good reminder of who we are in Christ and what it's about. Maybe maybe in part of those sermons we say that we should have Jesus the center and the priority even at your workplace, whatever job you have or business you own. Or maybe you're retired from doing all of that and Jesus needs you to be the center of your retirement. Is there room for Jesus at your job? Is there room for Jesus in your retirement? Right? Or have you been a Christian so long that you've even retired from making disciples? You've put in your time. You've done the children's ministry. You've made disciples. You've invited people to church. It's time for the young people to do the work now. I would, uh, I would discourage you from that kind of thought because no, there's no retirement in the Christian life. Jesus is always part of the Christian life. In fact, Jesus is the Christian life. It's all about Jesus. That's why when we preach the gospel, we say that when we confess Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive him, submit to him, we repent, and we're baptized for the forgiveness of sins so that we can be forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means we die to ourselves. We are no longer Lord of our own lives. Jesus now is Lord. So either there's room for Jesus or there's not. That's the way these kinds of sermons would go. And to those kinds of sermons, I would say amen, praise the Lord, and hallelujah. And then I would say, God, help me to stay true to what that truth means to me. What about in your mind and in your heart? Is there room for Jesus in your mind? Or are we always thinking about something else in this world? And we never have time to think about the things of Christ. We never have time to think about the ways of Christ. We never think about what Jesus would do. We never think about what Jesus would say or think in these moments of our lives. We're constantly thinking about other things. We're constantly worried about things that are in God's hands. 
Christmas time can be especially taxing in that way, can it? Couldn't be, I guess would be a better way. <laughs> because we're so busy, there's extra stuff to do, aside from the normal business, busyness of life, that we get so busy, many times we begin to have sicknesses in our life. We begin to have spiritual sicknesses, emotional sicknesses, because of our, our minds are full. Our minds are overloaded. Our minds are constantly running, even in our sleep, because they're not on track. Maybe that's not true for you. I hope it's not, but it could be. Is there room for Jesus in your mind? Have you allowed the Spirit of God to come in your life and clean house so that there's room for Jesus? That's how these sermons would go. This is how we preach these sermons. And I think they're appropriate to preach. And especially, is there room for Jesus in your heart? When we, when we preach the gospel, when we preach salvation, we preach about Jesus coming into the heart of a person who repents and accepts him as Lord and Savior. A person who realizes that Jesus really is the Son of Man, or the Son of God, really is the Savior of the world, and really does uh, forgive sins through his shed blood on the cross. And that we really do need him in our life. And we understand that when we repent, we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We're immersed as, a, as, a, as the dead man who is lost, who is gone, who is dead. The sinner man is dead, and he raises to new life in Christ. And the Spirit of God takes up residence in his heart and his life. That's salvation in a nutshell. And if you're, if you're truly saved this morning, then I would hope that the answer to the question, is there room for Jesus in your heart? would be yes. Because if it's no, then maybe we need to rethink your salvation. You can't be saved and not make room for Jesus in your heart. In fact, everything else has to go. It's all about Jesus. Now that doesn't mean when Jesus cleans house in our hearts and in our minds and in our life and in our homes and in our, our work, that he doesn't leave some things that would honor him and some things that, that are already there do glorify God or, or aren't sinful, but he's dismissing everything that got us in trouble with God in the first place. It's Christmas time, y'all. We're praising God, right? That was a moment right there, y'all. It was right there. God has forgiven us. He's cleaning house. He's helping us get rid of things that don't honor him. God, is, Jesus comes into our heart and he makes room for himself if we allow it. If we don't have such a tight grip on the things that we should repent over. The challenging thing is, is God doesn't force us to do anything. He just keeps loving us until we don't no longer want the things that don't honor him. And we allow him to make room for who, who he is and what he does in our lives. It's hard, isn't it? In, in the beginning, when we receive the gospel for the first time, we're like, yeah, I want Jesus, and I need him in my life. And I want to make room for him, but I don't know how. I don't even know if I can, but I want him. So let me, let me just stop being an enemy of God, because that's where it starts, right? And we allow God to come in through his Holy Spirit and begin to make room for God, make room for Jesus. Isn't that great? Is there room for Jesus? That's how that sermon would go. That's how we would preach those. That's how we preach it every Christmas. 
just this one statement at the end of verse 7. She wrapped him in clothes and put him in a manger, talking about our Savior, our Lord, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there's all kinds of sermons that can be preached about what it was really like, what the inn might have looked like, that they might have been in a cave or they might have been somewhere else or whatever the case is, but the fact is there was no room for Jesus, for our Lord, the Son of God, our Savior, the one who would die for us on the cross. It, it, It doesn't really say that there couldn't have been made some room for him because if you really think about it, maybe whoever was there in the full house that was packed to where they couldn't fit anybody else in, maybe maybe one kind person might have said, you know what, that lady right there looked like she's about to have a baby. And it looked like they're suffering. Let me just give up my spot. That could have happened, couldn't it? Nobody did it. Nobody did it. Nobody could just squeeze over a little bit just to make room for the Savior of the world. That's what it says. We're talking. We're not just talking about a young girl who's pregnant, about to have a baby. We're talking about the girl that God chose to bring Jesus into the world, so that you and I can be saved. That's who we're talking about. And there was no room. The very beginning of his earthly life. The very beginning of his life as a human being begins with rejection. They just could not make room for him. Not only could not, but would not. I don't, e- I don't, know, I don't even know the exact time of the evening that they showed up and the place was full. Apparently they got there later than everybody else because they had already filled the place up. And this is just my speculation, but I have to put myself in the innkeeper's shoes. Maybe he was full up, and he he was fuller than he ever was before because people don't travel way out there in the middle of the wilderness on a regular. It's not like he was in the middle of these big crossover streets in the community where everybody was filling up his hotel every night. So he probably had his walls full, and he had taken care of all of his guests, and he was he was all happy that he was uh, doing all doing well that night. And he, maybe he had a wife, and he's looking at his wife. like, let's retire early. It's full. We don't have to do anything else. We can finally go to bed early and enjoy the night. So here comes a knock on the door, and there's somebody else. And not only is it just one more guest, but it's a lady who's about to have a baby. And I would like to think that everybody in this room and everybody I know, if, they, if, they, if this pregnant young girl would show up at your house in the middle of the night, knocking on the door, say, hey, we need a place to have this baby, that everybody would say, yeah, come on in, let's, let's help you with this. That's not the case, y'all. That's not the world we live in. Not everybody is that good of a person. A lot of people are, but not everybody. Some people will look at that and say, uh, I'm not getting involved in that. Not my thing. Here's how I know that, because not a, when I was at the firehouse, when I was doing firefighting and EMT stuff years ago, not too long ago, not everybody's cut out to deal with that kind of a situation. Not everybody knows what to do. Not everybody can stay cool under pressure. Some people pass out when ladies start to have babies. <laughs> they just look at them like, ugh, and they just fall out. So I can imagine, who knows what the reasons were 
to say to these two young people who are about to have a baby, sorry, no more room, knowing that there's not another inn around the corner, knowing that it's a long distance between towns out there, but not realizing, even in that moment, that you're actually rejecting the Savior of the world. You're actually seemingly rejecting what God is doing. You ever think about that? Being the innkeeper, do you think if he found out, if he was here to read the story, do you think that he would be, uh-oh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have done that? No, no, no. This was all in God's plan. It was all prophesied about way before, way, way before, that Jesus would be born in this long, lonely cave, feeding cows, however which way you want to describe it. It's the lowliest of places for any human being, let alone our Lord. There just wasn't any room. Here's how significant this is, y'all. This is the beginning of the story of our Savior in the flesh, and he's instantly rejected by the world. There's no room in this world for Jesus. That's how we preach all this stuff. And I sat there and thinking to myself, it's like, I don't really want to preach the same sermon that everybody preaches every Christmas. I mean, God said it doesn't matter what you want to preach. He's going to preach it all to you. Right? So here's what, he, here's what he laid on my heart to share with you on top of what we just said. There really is no room for Jesus in this world. And before you disagree with me and shake your head like, what? Mm, Jesus, just hear me out. In the world that we live in, in the world that these people lived in, Mary and Joseph, the innkeeper and all the people surrounding that, in the world that those who, who were the beginning of this church, our church, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, there has been no room for Jesus since day one. He was rejected everywhere he went. He was attacked, persecuted, ridiculed every time he turned around, misunderstood, and so on. The question is, why? Why is he rejected? Why is there no room for Jesus in this world? The Lord, our Savior, the King of kings, why is there no room for Jesus in this world? I mean, he's God primarily. He's the Lord. God is the one who created this world. How is it that there's not any room for Jesus? Well, one, because he's God. Does that make sense to y'all? Maybe not on the surface, but think about it. God comes into the world as Jesus. The world doesn't want that because that interferes with what the world has going on. That interferes with the way that we live our lives. It doesn't match up with the way we live in this world. It doesn't match up with what we built in this world. It doesn't, it doesn't match it. It doesn't agree. It's brick. It's sandpaper to our kingdoms that we've built. 
because it's God, the ultimate authority, the creator God, and everything that comes with him. And it reminds us of the problem of sin. It reminds us that once there was a time when a man and his wife lived in harmony with God and his holiness, and because they sinned, it all went away, and the world began to decay and was contaminated by the wickedness of sin. So therefore, there's no room for this baby Jesus, let alone the man Jesus. There's also no room for Jesus in this world because he's Lord. He's the Lord of all. He has the ultimate authority. He's got the, he comes with the authority of God and his entire kingdom. So, so much for not being told what to do, y'all. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like for anybody else to run our lives. Jesus shows up and starts talking about this is the way the kingdom of God is. This is the way it is to live for God. This is what God is all about. This is my father. And here I'm, I'm his son. And if you're going to follow me, then you've got to get rid of all of this. We ain't got room for that. We ain't got room for Jesus. In his lordship. To accept Jesus as Lord means you surrender your rights to be in charge of anything. Hello? If we don't say amen to that, we're struggling, at least struggling with our Savior, aren't we? Speaking of Savior, it's another reason why there's no room for Jesus in this world, because he is the Savior. He lived a perfect life in the earth. As a human being, as a man, he lived perfectly, never sinned. Not only that, but he, by his own free will, gave up that life so that you and I could escape the problem of sin, so that you and I could make room for him. If we could make room for Jesus, on our own, we would have never needed him in his sacrifice. It's only by the blood of Christ that there's room in your heart for him. It's only by the blood of Christ that, that Jesus and his Holy Spirit can even come into your life and make things new again. But only if we allow it. Only if we open the door and say, I got milk and cookies. Lord and let him be God and let him be the Savior because that's what we need the reason we don't have room for Jesus in this world is because it's cluttered up with the things that don't honor him the things that we learn y'all didn't y'all didn't see that coming did you you didn't know you didn't know you loved your sin did you you didn't know you loved the things that took you away from God if you didn't love it you wouldn't do it I'm going to tell you something. I don't love tofu, and I surely don't eat it. Nobody does anything that they don't want to do. Hello. Yep, somebody says barbecue's on fire. I, I hear you. 
I hear you back there. <laughs> There's no room for Jesus in this world because he's the king. He's not only the king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there will never be another. No challenge against him will ever succeed because he is king of it all. And for those who choose to live in sin and want to be king of their own kingdoms, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room for another king. There's no room for this that God has sent. And as a, as a world, as a whole, as humanity as a whole, if you look at the bigger picture, there's no room for Jesus here. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If you think about what happened with Adam and Eve and why they were kicked out of God's holy presence and how God described how that was going to go, it makes sense that there's no room for Jesus here. Not only was there no room in the end, let's just go through a little bit of history. Herod tried to kill him right in the beginning because he's a paranoid maniac. He thought everybody was trying to take his kingdom. And he heard one little whisper. It's like, hey, there's supposed to be some baby born who's going to be king of the Jews. Like, oh, no, no, no. We're putting a stop to that. Because he didn't have room for no other kings in this world. Because he thought he ruled the world. How about Joseph and Mary? Look, y'all going to sit back and like, Joseph and Mary? Those guys are, those guys are the holy ones. Those are the holy parents. They, they did everything. No, they didn't do everything. They're just like us. Sometimes they thought they knew, but they didn't know. They go running to the temple. Jesus is in there teaching as a young man. He's in there teaching the ways of, of the kingdom of God. And they're like, hey, you're supposed to be with us. What's going on? And he looks at him and says, y'all should have known that I'll be about my father's business. Let me tell you something about me as a father, as a dad. If my son would have ever had that kind of response to me, it would have went different than, than what it went with Mary and Joseph. Because I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm a good dad, but there's lines that you can cross, right? If you're, if you're a parent, you understand what I'm saying. The rule was in my house for, for my son, you say whatever you want to say. It's how you say it and the words you choose. Say whatever you want to say. So Jesus is like, hey, you didn't know what I was supposed to do? You didn't know I was going to be about the Lord's business? In other words, he's saying, don't forget who I am. Don't forget what God said about me. And they forgot. They couldn't get their mind wrapped around what was going on. They knew. They knew what was told to them by the angelic beings in the beginning, but they didn't really understand how that was going to play out because there wasn't room for Jesus in their mind because he's so big. There's so much about the truth of God and Jesus. We cannot grasp it all. Jesus' own family didn't believe him. He was at his own, his own community, and he's saying, hey, this is what's happening, and they're like, whatever, man. Jesus talking about being God again. They couldn't, they couldn't receive him. They didn't have room in their mind and in their hearts for the totality and the magnitude of what God was doing. Even the disciples, they, thought they, were, they doubted him from time to time. They misunderstood him. From, they're arguing about, hey, who's going to sit at his right hand and his left hand because they thought he was going to be the king of the Jews and take over Rome and, and the whole world and everything was going to be great. They didn't have room for the, for the reality of Jesus. And then Peter's like, hey, look, nobody's going to get to you, Jesus, until they get through me. That's not going to happen. And in the next moment, 
Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You want to talk about a heartbreaking comment from one whom you've been following your last three, however many years they were walking together. That must have been crushing for Peter. It must have crushed his soul for Jesus to say that. Because he couldn't, he couldn't get his mind wrapped around who Jesus is. All the religious leaders all throughout his life were questioning him, were challenging him, were rejecting him, persecuting him, trying to arrest him, trying to kill him. Because they didn't have room for him, because he was a threat to their authority and their uh, good standing in the community and everything that came with their position. And it disagreed with what they thought was true sometimes. Even those people that were walking around being fed miraculously, you know, free food, come out of nowhere miraculously. Even those that were getting healed from time to time. They all left him eventually. Think about the one time, there was a time when Jesus fed all these people. They were walking with him and he was teaching and they were all amazed by his teaching and they were waiting for this miracle stuff to happen. And finally he feeds a bunch of people and they were like, whoa, this is great. And then suddenly he starts teaching about the ways of God and they're like, well, this is too hard. We're out of here now. We ain't taking this. There's no room. They could not make room. What about when Lazarus was dead and they called for Jesus to come and he shows up three days later, two and a half or so, whatever. And here comes the ladies crying as, as I would have been. And what do they say to Jesus when he shows up? If you would have only been here, Jesus, if you wouldn't have piddled around, you could have done something about this. And a lot of people think that Jesus wept right then because he was sad about Lazarus. I don't know that I believe that because he knew what was about to happen. I think Jesus wept because he, he was sad because they couldn't make room for who he was in their minds and in their hearts. It, it, it just, it, it couldn't, they couldn't register that he was God and that he, was, he was had authority over death and life. And in that moment, he realized, he, 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 it was brought to his attention in that moment why he was there and why he had to die. And why it took such a sacrifice. Because they just couldn't get it. Because they lived in this world. And, 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 and before we shake our heads at, at, at these people that we're talking about, look in the mirror because sometimes we just don't get it. We just don't see how God is going to make things work in our lives. Or relieve the pressure. Or make us better. Or change our lives the way we pray for him to do. Yet we still say amen when the preacher says God does miracles. Unless it works out on paper, we can't receive it. There's no room for that kind of thinking. Make sense? So he shows up and pulls Lazarus out of the grave, and they're all like, what? What in the world? Judas failed to see past his greed to make room for Jesus. I wonder when he kissed him on the face in that moment, was he just naive to the totality of Jesus and his being? Or was he really that greedy? Did he really love his sin that much? Or maybe a little bit of both. 
either way, there was no room in that moment for Jesus in the tomb. All still part of God's plan. And we sit back and we're wondering, how is it that God, why couldn't God just snap his holy fingers and just make all this go away? I don't have an answer to that. But I know that God's plan is the best plan to reach our culture. All of society one day celebrated Jesus as the, the king of the Jews. We call it Palm Sunday. Remember that? Everybody's all having a good old party. Woohoo! King of the Jews. And it was literally moments later. They're screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. Because that's what fit the need of society in that moment. That's what fit the need of the religious leaders that got them all fired up to turn against the one that they were celebrating just the days before. And then when we read in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's preaching the gospel for the first time filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, hey, it's because of y'all that this all happened. You're the ones that put him on the cross because you couldn't make room for him here. of y'all, if I ask you the question, I want, if, I say, if I say, do you want to make room for Jesus in your life, how many would say yes? Raise your hand. Yeah, I think, I think most people want to make room for Jesus, but sometimes we just can't do it. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need the Lord. This is why the amazing love of God is so important to us. Because whether we could make room for Jesus or not, God sent Jesus anyway. Here's why. Because this is not Jesus' home. This is not where he belongs. This is not God's permanent place. And neither is it mine or yours. We don't belong here. We belong with God. And we can't be with God if we're in sin. So God sends his presence into our lives. Whether we make room for him or not, here he is form of this baby, grew up into a perfect man who would choose to lay his life on the cross so that we could have the opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior, to receive this love that God has to offer. You ever thought about that? When God says, I love you this much, and offers Jesus on the cross, and his death, burial, and resurrection becomes the, the pathway to salvation, have you ever thought about, am I receiving God's love or not? I think I am, but maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe I'm not totally surrendered. Maybe I'm not grasping it always. Maybe there's moments where I'm not making room for Jesus. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. Thomas, look, Jesus is back from the dead and he's standing there. He's got holes in his hands and his feet and his side. And Thomas is like, still not going to believe it. Just can't make room for that. So what does Jesus do? He could have just, Jesus could have said, okay, whatever, go sit over there and we'll hang out. No, he walks over and says, okay, let me help you make room. Let me help you understand. And let me help you open your heart to receive who I am. Touch, touch my side. Aren't you glad that God is patient? Aren't you glad that God is willing to come to you so that you could come to him? Because the reality is, is 
God's not here to stay. He's here to get us to go. Hello? And, and, if, and if, we, if we get too confused about that, and we're thinking that God is here to serve us, or God is here to be on our side, and God is here to manage our lives the way we want him to manage our lives, we haven't made any room whatsoever for Jesus in our life. What we've done is we've created a different kind of Jesus that doesn't exist. Thinking that we've made room for Jesus and all we've done is cluttered it up more. Over and over again, it's been proven in society all throughout the ages including this society that we live in today, that there's no room for Jesus in this world. That's why persecution happens. That's why over the ages, including today's time, that people are trying to rid the world of Christianity, rid the world of this idea that there is a Savior, that there is a need for a Savior, that Jesus is real, that he is Lord and Savior, that he is the sacrifice, and that everything that happened on the cross is true, and his death and burial and resurrection really happened. They're trying to dismiss it all. They're trying to prove it wrong. And in today's world, you'll be canceled if you believe that. In some way, form, or fashion, you just will not exist in society's mind because they cannot make room for Jesus. Will not make room for Jesus. Jesus was not sent in this world. He was never sent here to fit in this world. He came here because we don't fit in this world. We fit in the world that Adam and Eve once existed in. That's what we're created to live in. But because of sin, we had to be excused into this world that's being contaminated by sin day after day. It's constantly decaying. The world is dying. Jesus came to rescue us from that. So the idea that we're making room for Jesus almost is misleading, isn't it? As if Jesus is coming here permanently to be a part of what I'm doing. The reality is, is I'm surrendering, 100%, totally surrendering, so that I can become part of him. Here's the good news, y'all. The scripture tells us he always makes room He's cleaning out so he can fill you up with him. He's filling you up so that there's no need for any room for anything else. This world is not Jesus' home, therefore it is not our home. And I want to read a few pieces of scripture. Sorry, I didn't keep over that. I got excited. But let's look in Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 to 22. Now, these don't have anything to do with Christmas directly. But today's message, it does. We're going to finish up with these. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21 to 22 says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I know some of y'all are sitting back like, you just said there's good news. It is. But there's also reality. And as the believer sits back in 2022, if we get to 2022, 
We have to look at what goes on in this world and see the reality of what's happening. It gets bad out there. It's not anything new. It maybe is new to us because we've been spoiled in this part of the world. But people hate one another. People are mean to one another. People are wicked to one another in this world. And not only that, they're encouraging other people to do, do the same thing and participate in it. We're to be different. We're not to be that way. And if we've made room for Jesus, or at least moved into him and come into Christ so that he can make us who he wants us to be, and he can help us be what we're supposed to be, then persecution is going to happen. And if there's no room for Jesus in the world, then there's no room for you in this world. Because you're in Christ. I hope that don't hurt your feelings. But I got to tell you, when I look at the, the when I look at the the bigger picture, and for eternity I'm going to be in the presence of God, comparing to however much time I live in this world, and I compare the two things, I'm like, yeah, I'll take the presence of God every time, y'all. We got some great things in this world that we can enjoy, and we can have some great times and make good memories with one another. And God can bless us and bless us, and we can have joy and we can have peace through Christ and all of those things. But it's still not worth comparing to eternity with God in His home. So why do we long to stay here on earth more than we long to be with Him? Why do we start mumbling and grumbling when things are tough? Is it because we can't make room for Jesus in that way? Or is it just because life is hard and sometimes it's better? Matthew chapter 10, verse 27 says this, What what I tell you in the dark, speak it in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roof. All of this is Jesus teaching, by the way. In other words, what you and God talk about, what God reveals to you through his word and prayer and fellowship and, and whatever which way God communicates with you through the spirit of God, go out in the world and tell everybody the truth about Jesus. John the Baptist ran around the world like, hey, y'all better repent because Jesus is coming. Make way for the Lord. That's, that was his message. Make way for Jesus. Sometimes I sit back and I think about I think about John. He was in prison about to get his head cut off. And he sends a message to Jesus. Are you really the one or or did I did I make a mistake? It wasn't that he didn't believe. It was that the world got hard. And the reality that he was about to die came over him. And he just wanted to know is what, is what I've done right, or did I miss it? Did I mess up? Because it's worth dying for if it's right. But he didn't want to die for the wrong thing. Of course, Jesus' answer to him was, uh, I don't know, you tell me. Look at the miracles that have been going on. Look at the teaching that's been happening. Look at all the stuff that's going on. There's no room for me here. You think I'm, and, and he's like, okay, well, then he went off and, and was persecuted. That's the life we signed up for. You got room for that? Uh, I think the answer is yes or no, right? <laughs> it's okay to say no. It's like, I don't know. I don't, how am I going to do that? I think about these people that have been persecuted, uh, killed for their faith, even in today's world. And I sit back sometimes and wonder, it's like, I hope I don't fail if that ever comes true for me. I hope I'm not one that would 
denying God to save my own life. And I pray about that for me and for you. Because it's hard to know, isn't it? On Sunday morning, it's easy to say amen and hallelujah when we say Jesus is Lord. But when it's dark and heavy and the battle is raging and, and the world surrounds you with all of the wickedness that's in it, it's, it, it, that's the time when we have to say amen and hallelujah, isn't it? Those are the times. Finally, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, it says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy. If you say you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and you realize you need a Savior, you want to be saved, you want to stop sinning, stop being an enemy of God, you want to become a Christian, I hope you understand that it means you're going to be like Christ. You're going to be like Jesus. You're going to ask God to help you with that every day, more and more, to do better. You're going to ask God to come into your life, and you're going to ask God to help you make room for Jesus. And, and, and not even just Jesus, his name, not just salvation, not just forgiveness, but the totality of who he is. Spiritual growth is all about Jesus helping you make more and more room for who he is. Because at some point you need to be filled with Christ to the point of overflowing into the lives of those around you. That's how we make disciples. And if we're going to take up our cross, if we're going to follow him, we're going to be persecuted. And we have to understand that there is no room for the Christian in this world. This is not our home. We're not here forever. When Jesus told the disciples that he was leaving and he was, would give them another counselor, he said, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, give you another counselor to help you along the way while you're here. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you in the presence of God Almighty. It's going to be where you live. It's where you belong. Isn't that great? Why would he prepare a place for us in the presence of God if we were going to stay here forever. I say enjoy what God has created. Live a life that's worthy of what God called us to, what Jesus came to die for. But always know that one day you're leaving. Jesus is going to come back here and we're all gone. You may leave here today. You may leave here next week. You might be here another 30, 40 years. But if you're a believer, you're going to be in the presence of God for eternity. That's what helps you live a life that's worthy, is what Jesus said. And I've preached the gospel pretty thoroughly, I think, this morning. And if I haven't, then God will help me. If you're not saved, you might want to think about that. That's where we start. Because if you're not saved, this is all you got. If you haven't made room for Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, this is all you have. And when it's over, it will be. I love when the Lord loves you. We're going to sing together. We have a decision to make. Just come down here and just say, I believe, repent. I don't, I don't want to be an enemy anymore. I mean, we can, we can baptize you right now. And you can be forgiven of your sins, and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we can begin to re- make room for Jesus. You ready? Let's stand together and sing together.